Good morning. Welcome to uh, service this morning, and a big welcome to all those listening on our radio this morning. Uh, before we start our worship, I have just a couple announcements. Uh, the rose on the altar this morning is uh, in celebration of 54 years of marriage of Pat and Jean Schrelke, which will be on Wednesday, April 11th. And we want to say congratulations to Corey and Ashley Wilrath on the birth of their daughter, Eleanor, who was born on Thursday, April 5th. Uh, grandparents, great-grandparents are Wayne and Nancy Bombard. And if you would stand uh, this morning for the call to worship. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Now we will continue to stand and sing our first song forever, led by the priest.
I'll ask the children to come forward for children's chat with Shelby. And while they're doing that, let's Well, good morning. How are you all today? You guys look so handsome and beautiful this morning. Well, we're going to talk about two things this morning. We're going to talk about a man named Saul and cookies. Who likes cookies? Me. Raise your hands high if you like cookies. Yeah, everybody should have their hands up. Everybody loves cookies. Well, here's my cookies this morning I brought for you guys. You want to hold that? Here's my cookies. You guys want some? You want some? Yeah. I'll pass them out. I don't know how many I can pass out. Who wants cookie? Well, I, I don't know if I can pass one out to everybody, but does this cookie look edible? This cookie looks edible? You guys want to eat butter and raw eggs and water and no. cookie dough? No. Well, how do I make this a cookie? Put it all Okay, so we mix it. We put it in a bowl and we mix it. Then what do we got to do? You put it in the oven, you got to bake it. And then when they come out of the oven, what do you do? You put them on a rack and you let them cool. Or if you like me, you eat them warm. They're good warm. You can let them cool and eat them cool. Well, this is kind of like our story a little bit with Saul. Saul was a man who he did not like Christians at all. And he was angry because he heard in a certain town that there were so a lot of Christians. And he went, and he went and started walking, and it's called the road to Damascus. And he went to Damascus thinking that he's going to hurt these people, and he's going to take them, and he's going to arrest them, because he didn't like what they were doing. He didn't like that they were sharing Jesus with everybody. But on the way to Damascus, he had a God moment. God went and made him blind. Have you guys ever closed your eyes and then tried to feel around a room? Mm-mm. No? Maybe you should try it and have, like, have mom and dad help you this afternoon. Just sit there and close your eyes and then try and find your bedroom in your house. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard. We, yeah. Well, God made him blind, and he made him blind for three days. And he didn't like it. He couldn't see. He couldn't make his way to Damascus to arrest these people. But in that, he had a transformation. And kind of like how I take all of these ingredients and change them and combine them and mix them up and then bake them, they come out as wonderful, delicious cookies. Well, that's what happened to Saul. But then, because God gave him back his eyesight, he had this, like, wonderful love for God. So he went and he totally changed everything of what he was going to do with the, on his way to Damascus. So he didn't hurt the people. He didn't arrest the people. It changed him inside. And that's when we, when we allow Jesus into our hearts, that's what happens to us too. And we get changed and we get transformed into glorifying God and wanting to go out and spread his good news, huh? Yeah? Well, let's go ahead and pray. And then in that basket, in that bag right there, you guys can each take a bag of cookies with you to your seats, okay? So let's go ahead and fold our, head, fold our hands and bow our hairs. Dear Jesus, we thank you for these kids this morning. We thank you for this wonderful story of teaching our hearts how to be transformed and to shine for you and to shine for your glory. Lord, we pray that for each of these kids' hearts this morning, that they have this transformed heart and they want to live for you and live for your glory and just want to praise your name. And we bless them this week and bless them throughout the rest of their lives. In your son's name, Jesus, amen. In the last week, at Nevis Air Force Base in Nevada, in an F-18 crash, we lost Major Stefan Del Bagno, 34, from Valencia, California, a member of the U.S. 
Air Force Thunderbirds. Naval Air Station, El Centro, California, in a CH-53 helicopter crash, we lost the following Marines. Captain Samuel A. Schultz, 28, from Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. First Lieutenant Samuel D. Phillips, 27, from Pinehurst, North Carolina. Gunnery Sergeant Richard Holly, 33, from Dayton, Ohio. Lance, Lance Corporal Joseph Conrad, 24, from Baton, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning to worship you, our resurrected King. Uh, we worship you knowing that, that you are alive today, uh, that what we celebrated last week at Easter is not just a one-day celebration, but it's meant to be celebrated each and every day as we gather as your people on the Lord's Day, on Resurrection Day, to celebrate uh, you and to worship you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have conquered death, that you have conquered sin on our behalf, and that through you we have the hope of eternal life. And Lord, that begins now, and, and as, we, as we think about these requests that we have before us, as we think about those who, have, who are going through difficult times, like Jay just shared, uh, we pray, Lord, that the hope of new life, the hope of eternal life, would bring comfort to those who are, sorrow, who are in sorrow. We pray it brings hope to those who are facing difficult times, whether it's health issues or relationship issues or financial issues, Lord. There's a lot of burdens that we carry into this room today. There's a lot of burdens for those who are listening in and out on the radio. And Lord, we have the confidence and hope that you are alive to, to meet our needs and you are able to meet our needs through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, we lift them up to you this morning. We pray that, that your will would be done. We pray that you would provide all that is needed in order to reach and to, to, meet, uh, to meet those needs, Lord. Uh, and we pray it with the confidence that you hear us as we pray, that your Spirit guides us and, and, and is always here within us to, to um, point us to you. And so we thank you for that, and thank you for that hope and that sure promise. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Our collection this morning goes to support our radio ministry here at First Church. And Brittany Worwell will be singing a solo for us. my life. 
Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Oh, what love, no greater love, grace, how can it be? That in my sin, yes, even then, He shed His blood for me. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. Oh, the blood of Jesus shed for me. It saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. for the scripture this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I will remain standing and sing number hymn 225, Worship Christ the Risen King. Before we get to our, our sermon this morning, I just want to take a moment and, and first of all, praise God uh, for our wonderful Holy Week services that we had last week um, from Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, to the youth service on Sunday morning and our regular worship gathering here at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. It was just a, an amazing time to, to worship and to recognize Christ's death and his resurrection together. I especially want to thank Eric Hirschfeld for directing the, the vocal and the bell choirs, uh, Sharon Chaney and, and the others that have helped accompany the music, as well as all those who are a part of those choirs and, and the scripture readers and all the people that just came together to make those services happen, and especially to Tori and the youth for the, the prayer service that morning. Just I was just amazed at, at how uh, everything came together and, and our focus and our attention was, was solely on, on the cross and the empty tomb and what a, what a way to spend Easter weekend together. So thank you for, for all being a part of that and praise God for the opportunity to, to do that together as well. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful uh, for this day. Uh, thank you that we have the chance to be here this morning and worship you. I pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would give us uh, insight into, into what you have in store for us today. A, a passage that may be so familiar to us, the, the story of, of Paul's encounter with you on the road to Damascus. I pray that you'd give us fresh insight and, and breathe new life into these familiar words. And I pray that in all things you would be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Today we're going to be beginning a series that's actually going to last us quite a, quite a while here um, through the spring and the summer, and we're going to be taking a look at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, uh, someone who, who not only um, the story of, of his life takes up a good portion of the book of Acts and, and the ministry that he had, but he also penned several of the letters in the New Testament, a good number of them. And so, so we, we really owe a great debt to what God did in and through Paul in his life um, to what we know and understand about the, the Bible and, and our understanding of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so as, as we reflect on Jesus' death and his resurrection coming off Easter weekend, I thought it would be a great way to, to continue that journey is, is look at the immediate direct impact that the risen Christ had on one of those early uh, leaders in the early church, and that was Paul. And so we're going to be beginning uh, our series today with with the story of the road to Damascus. And as I mentioned in my prayer, it's a story that's so familiar to us. It's so familiar in, in a sense of we're aware of it. We know kind of this idea that Paul was on this journey and he was in, and he had this encounter with the Lord on that day, and and his life changed for the better from that point on. Uh, but we also have to understand that that's not the beginning of Paul's story, though, either. That, that there's a little bit of a background in the book of Acts of, of who this person was before he met Christ and, and why, uh, and, and recognizing that is important to understand the impact that this event had on his life. Um, just a, a word of warning, uh, just like when I was speaking about Abraham last fall, uh, there's a name change that is going on here. Uh, you notice in this passage that was just read for you, uh, he's referring to Saul, uh, who was, you know, Saul and Paul are, are the same person, just like Abram and Abraham. And so I'm going to just apologize up front for probably mixing those names up here today and going forward, but I'm going to do my best to kind of keep those straight. Um, and so uh, that's what we're going to be we're going to be talking about here today. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of background on who this person is before we just jump into this story. See, Paul or Saul, as he is sometimes referred to, uh, was a was a leader in the in the Jerusalem church. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Actually, if you looked at uh, Philippians chapter three, uh, verse six, he actually kind of lists off his qualifications as a leader within God's people there in Jerusalem. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. We'll get to that in just a moment. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So in a sense, Paul was this, he was the good guy of good guys in that sense. He was the one, honestly, that, that people would have looked up to in that day. He was the one, for, for just kind of the average Joe on the street, he was the one that looked like he had it all together. He had everything, he had everything in order. He had all of his T's crossed and his I's dotted. And, and in that sense, he was, he was following God's law to the letter. But yet, as we'll see here, he still missed the significance of the life and death of Jesus Christ. In fact, the first time we, we get a glimpse of Saul in the book of Acts, it's during the scene when Stephen, the first martyr, is stoned to death for his testimony in the temple courts. After Stephen testified that, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he saw Jesus standing seated beside the Father in heaven, uh, the, the people are so enraged by this so-called blasphemy that they, they rush Stephen out of the city and begin to stone him immediately. And it says in Acts chapter 7 that there was a young man named Saul who was standing by and, and they would lay they, their coats at his feet. He was like the... He was, it was like he was approving of what was happening. And that's the first introduction we have of this man who would later become known as Paul. So even here in the book, in, in Acts chapter 9, as we get introduced to the story, it says that he was still breathing out murderous threats towards God's people. In fact, in, on his way to Damascus, he was, he was not going there on a vacation. He was going there for business. He was going there to try and, and arrest some of these Jesus followers, some of these members of the way, who were going and spreading the good news, good news of Christ. He was going to try to put a stop to that, in that movement, in order to try to stop it in its tracks. And so that's, that's, um, that's the picture we get opening up this passage here. And so um, another question we may ask ourselves is, why, why are we doing this? Why are we studying Paul at this time? 
I think it's uh, interesting to take a look at Paul, especially after taking a look at Jonah like we did in Lent. You see, I think Paul and Jonah are very important foils of one another. Jonah was that reluctant prophet, that man of God who dragged his feet to fulfill God's calling on his life. See, Paul is, a, is an opposite of him in some senses. He was the religious zealot who was, his, his, was committed to, to the law of God, committed to, to the temple and everything like that, but yet he missed the significance of Christ's death and resurrection. He was that, that religious zealot who then took a complete 180 in his life after encountering, encountering Christ on the Damascus Road. And from that point on, there was nothing that could stop him from living out the calling that God has placed on his life. He faced hardship. He faced persecution himself. He faced danger. And yet he continued to strive hard after Christ. He continued to strive to, to share the good news of the Gospel and the love of God with everyone he possibly could. So in a sense, we get this, this, this opposite perspective of, of the prophet Jonah um, that we studied during Lent. And as we go forward, we're going to see what a life that com is committed to Christ really looks like. We're going to see what a life committed to, to spreading the good news and sharing God's love with people really looks like and, and how that not only looks in Paul's life, but what that means for us as well. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul wrote to the church there, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, that's what it's all about. That's what we're striving to do here today. That's what we're going to be striving to do going forward, is looking at the example of Paul's life, studying it to see what a life committed to Christ looks like, and then following that example ourselves. See, the world doesn't need another Apostle Paul, right? We're not just supposed to copy him. And, and, and you know, the, the goal of our, our sermon series, our sermon today and our series going forward is not to, not to just recreate Paul and send you all out on a road uh, to, to spread the gospel, but it's to, to look at what a life committed to Christ looks like, what that means for you where God has placed you so that you can be the person God has called you to be. So that you can be the faithful servant, faithful, obedient servant that God is, is calling you to be in your family, in your workplace, in your community. The world doesn't need another Apostle Paul. It certainly doesn't need another Pastor Joel. It needs you to live out your life where God has called you to be. And so Paul's example, as we study today, can help us to live out God's calling and our purpose in our own unique way. But that begins with what we're going to be looking at today. It begins with our own encounter with Christ and His transforming grace. You see, God's grace transforms sinners through a personal encounter with Christ. And that's so important for us as we begin our journey with God. We see here in, in the road to Damascus, first off, that no one is beyond God's saving grace. So I mentioned already that this passage opens up with this man named Saul who is still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He even, he even went out of his way to go and request letters, request papers to go and, and arrest people in a faraway city in order to prevent this good news from spreading. His mission was to destroy the early church and to destroy the, the people of God in that sense. But you see, from Paul's perspective, he wasn't the bad guy. And I think that's interesting. You know, if you look at fiction, whether you like to read books or watch movies, some of the best villains, some of the best bad guys in all of works of fiction don't think they're the bad guys, right? They don't understand that what they're doing is, is wrong or evil or, un, or, or against the, the greater good. And so in a similar way, we see here, Paul believes his... He, or, Again, Saul believes his cause to be right. He believes that he's one of the good guys. And I think generally speaking, that's, that's one of the problems we, we tend to face in the world today. Is that most people don't realize their need for a Savior. They don't realize that, that their actions, their thoughts, their attitudes, their very heart is set against God and in rebellion against Him. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about sin, isn't it? A lot of people don't really like to do that these days. But many people today need to hear it. Need to hear the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. 
And many people don't like to talk in words like that. We don't like to hear that because we don't feel like it applies to us. We don't feel like it applies to me. You know, I think the, the, the struggle in a world today is that we don't realize that we need a Savior. We don't realize our sin. We're not even aware of it. You know, I think there was a time and a place and, and at, at different points in human history where people could point and say, obviously there was, there was sin going on. There was something that was wrong and there was something in, inside of me that needed to be fixed. And so I don't know what, what necessarily that is. I don't know how that, how, how, what the solution is, but I, I recognize that there's something broken inside of me and I need someone to fix. And so it was easy to come in and preach the gospel in those situations because people were aware of their, their brokenness. They were aware of, of their shortcomings. And so to hear that there was a, a Savior named Jesus who would come and, and rescue them and restore them was a, was a relatively easy thing to talk about. But in a society, in a world where people aren't even aware of their sin, where they are not even acknowledging the fact that there is brokenness in the world and brokenness inside of them, it's much more difficult to talk about their need for a Savior. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And I'm not talking just about them. I'm talking about us. We are often so blinded to our own sin, to our own shortcomings. We have hard hearts. You see, the problem is is not in what we do in our actions. It's at the very core of who we are. See, our actions flow out of our being. Right? Our actions follow the course that our heart and our mind and our soul sets. Right? And so, the problem isn't just that we do the wrong things. It's by nature, at the very core of who we are, we're, we're broken. We're, we're dis- the image of God that is placed in us is distorted and we are separated from Him. And so we, have, we all have hard hearts and we're incapable of loving God and following Him like we should and like God wants us to. And so we need not just to do better things, we need a heart transplant. Right? We need to be restored. We need to be made new. And that's something that we can't do ourselves. It's something that God does in us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. But the good news as we see here on the road to Damascus that, that no one is beyond God's saving grace. And, and we all need that new heart and God is willing to give it to us. God is willing to meet us where we're at in order to restore and save us. See, that's what Saul experiences here in this moment. He thinks he's on a mission from God. He thinks he's in the right and all these other people are wrong. And it's in that moment, in that very moment that he's traveling to persecute these people that Jesus shows up and Jesus meets him in that moment. Even a religious zealot like Paul is able to be saved. Someone who had murder on their hearts and in their minds is able to be saved. None of us are beyond God's saving grace. I think we can also learn something here from Paul's, the experience that Paul has on the road. And I want to I preface this conversation by reminding us that, that our conversion, our, our experience of God's grace is not a one-size-fits-all story. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty bad experience with one-size-fits-all like clothing, right? Um, those hats never fit me right because I have a giant head. Um, one-size-fits-all isn't the truth, right? That doesn't work. And, and it's true with baseball hats, but it's even more true with how God's grace interacts and, and meets us in our own lives. We all have different stories. And I remember when I was younger, when I uh, first came to Christ in middle school and, and getting more involved in the youth group and then on in college, I remember being jealous, I guess you can say, of people that had a Damascus Road-type experience. Right, we've heard that kind of phrase, that Damascus Road experience, that one day God showed up powerfully in my life and, and from that moment forward I was a changed person. You know, I was I was always kinda like I said, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but I was always wanted one of those stories, those powerful testimonies of of this is what God has done in my life and here's the change that took place. It was like a light switch that was flipped on. But that wasn't me. My story was a lot more of a a progressive uh, work and progress kind of conversion, I guess you can say. 
I, looking back, I can see how God was meeting me and working in my life, but it wasn't just like one day I woke up and need, knew I was a savior and, excuse me, knew I was a sinner in need of a savior, but it was a work that God was doing in my heart over months and I would say even years to get me to that point of, of recognizing my need for Christ. Allie and I have talked as well about how, you know, she has a different experience even from that. She grew up in the church. You know, she, she has this testimony of, of knowing Jesus for as long as she can remember. And how awesome is that? You know, there's different stories. There's different experiences. Um, and, and sometimes you have a Damascus Road type experience, but sometimes God works slower. Sometimes God needs to get our attention in different ways. And sometimes we just keep banging our head against the wall trying to ignore what God is doing in our lives too. But we all have a different story and we all come to Christ and and experience God's grace sometimes in different ways. But there are some common elements that that we see here in in Paul's story that I think apply to all of us no matter how they, they work themselves out in the details. And that's first of all we see here that Paul, in Paul's experience and in our experience, that conversion, that salvation is God's initiative, not ours. We see here Saul is on his way to Damascus, um, and he's not intending to go there to meet Jesus, right? He's not seeking Jesus out in the sense that he wants to, to know more about him and, and put his trust in him. He's seeking out God's people in order to destroy them. But it's in that moment that that Jesus meets Paul on the road. It's it's not was not Paul's intention, it was not Saul's extension, excuse me, to, to meet Jesus there, but that's where God initiated it. And the bottom line is this no one can save themselves. No one can seek God out and find him if God didn't make himself known in the first place. See the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus was a rescue mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. And apart from God making himself known through Jesus, that none of us would have hope. But because Jesus came and and because He lived and He died and He lives again, we have the hope of eternal life. And because He pours out His Holy Spirit on His people, we may know and experience God's love through that relationship. You see, none of that would be possible if God didn't take that first step toward us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4-6 through says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, in all things, Jesus, He initiates in it. He initiates that that relationship. He initiates our salvation. It's nothing that we can do to earn it, no matter how hard we try. It's all about what Christ has done for us. He meets Saul on the Damascus Road, and he meets each one of us in our own unique way. And so it's God's initiative, but salvation is also about an encounter with the risen Christ. Salvation is not about knowing the right stuff. It's not about doing the right things. And it's not about attending the right church. It's about knowing and experiencing the risen Christ. Salvation is only possible through that, through knowing Him. Think of the stories of of when people encountered Jesus throughout the Gospels and the change that took place just from that experience. The disciples left everything behind to follow Him. The Samaritan woman at the well was changed simply through a conversation. And my favorite example is Doubting Thomas. The one who was famous for not believing the accounts of the resurrection. Not believing that Jesus really rose from the grave until he could see him and, and, and place his hands on his wounds. And yet, the moment that Jesus appeared in the room and, 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 and Thomas had an encounter with Christ, he fell on his knees and worshipped and said, My Savior and my God. It's experiencing the risen Christ is what makes the difference and what makes transformation possible. <laughs> C.S. Lewis made a the liar, lunatic, and Lord um, conversation. He made that famous. This idea that, that once we experience Christ, once we have an encounter with Him, we're really only left with three options. We can either accuse Jesus of being a liar. He's not really the person He says He is. We can accuse Him of being a lunatic, that He was off His rocker, and, and He wasn't attempting to deceive people. He was just this crazy guy with some crazy ideas. Or we can acknowledge that He is, in fact, Lord. 
Those are really the only three options that are left to us. And so as we encounter Christ, God then gives us His Holy Spirit to confirm that we are in fact sons and daughters of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-22 through 22 says, as surely, <coughs> excuse me, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and, Tim- and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him it was always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken to, by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both you, us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put a spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And the third common element that we see here in Paul's story of the Damascus Road is the submission to His Lordship. You see, it's not just about meeting Christ. It's not just about experiencing the risen Lord, but it's about submitting to Him as Lord. Notice Saul here says, Who are you, Lord? Lord, the city of Master, the city of of authority. Even in that moment, as he first experienced Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was able to submit to His authority. See, we cannot hope to be saved and at the same time deny the authority that Jesus has in our lives. Trusting Christ should lead to faithful obedience. And notice I didn't say that the other way around. It's not about obeying Christ in order to, to, to be saved or obeying Christ in order for Him to love us. It's about loving Him and, and trusting in Him, which then leads to faithful obedience. It's, it's that, the order is important. And it's not just obedience in that moment but it's the long obedience of a faithful life dedicated to Christ. We're going to see in the coming months as we continue to look at Paul's life that this change was not just a momentary change. His transformation was a transformed life that played out over years and years of faithful service. The problem is that we often put ourselves on the throne of our lives. And so we need to get off it. We need to acknowledge that He is God and and I am not. I always think it's funny, we read passages from the Old Testament and we think how silly that these people got caught up in something as, as obvious as idolatry. Right? As obvious as, as worshiping and bowing down to a, a, an idol made of stone or, or, or precious metal or wood. How silly that they would do something as, as obviously wrong as that. You see, the, our problem is that we still have our own idols. Right? We still worship Idols, they just aren't made of wood and stone and metal. They're made of self. They're made of power and money and other things that that we strive for and and put our trust in besides God. We still struggle with idolatry and and the biggest idol that we struggle with is ourselves. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Love the idea of of living sacrifices. I love the imagery because as as Pastor Steve, the pastor I worked with before, used to say, the, the problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar. Right? And that's what we do all the time. We, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, but as soon as we do that, we begin to crawl off the altar and we crawl back onto the throne. And so, so submitting to Christ's Lordship, having an encounter with Christ and responding faithfully means continually stepping off the throne of our lives and allowing God to be God and not us. And that's not always an easy thing to do. In closing, I just want to point out here the the result of of Saul's experience. Like I said, it wasn't just a one-time thing, but we see that that he was committed to Christ, but he was also committed to community and mission. His experience with with Christ was the beginning of his journey, not the end. The goal of the Christian life is is so much more than just saying a prayer one day. It's so much more than than just spending a day in church and, and committing to Christ and going on your life as if nothing had changed. Committing to Christ means committing to, to the community of Christ, to the body of Christ. 
Notice here that God uses someone like Ananias and, and he goes and he prays for Saul. And notice what he calls him. He calls him Brother Saul. Not enemy. Not the persecutor. Not the one who's trying to arrest and kill us. But Brother Saul. What an amazing display of God's grace and unity right there from someone uh, like Ananias. But we see here that Saul is also committed to mission. It's in that moment that, that as, as Saul commits his life to Christ, and as Ananias goes and prays for him, we see that, that along with his commitment to Christ comes a commitment to mission. From that moment of his new birth, Paul is given a purpose to go and to preach the Gospel to the Gentiles. You see, it's never too early to serve God. We don't have to wait our turn. We can serve God here and now. And it goes for young people and for old people. It goes for retired people and working people. It goes for, for those sitting in the room today and those listening on the radio. All of us, as we commit our lives to Christ, are called to a commitment to service as well. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. And so, as we begin to study the life of Paul, I want to encourage you to reflect on your own experience with Christ. Reflect on how you came to know Him and what kind of changes have taken place from that day. But I also want to encourage you if, you, if you can't point to that, if you have not made that commitment to Christ, if you haven't committed to a life devoted to Him, I encourage you to do that this day. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that you have, an, you have worked in and through us. That You have met us on our own road to Damascus. Whatever journey we have been on, whatever road our life has taken, You meet us there. And You call us back to Yourself. Thank You for doing that in Saul's life. And I thank You that You have done that for each one of us. And I pray that all of us here listening in this room and on the radio would respond to that call. And that we would respond to the grace that You've shown us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing about that grace in closing. Let's sing number 202, Amazing Grace.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.